Thanks for tuning into Mind Matters with Mia. I'm your host, Mia Yen, a sophomore at Valencia High School. In today's episode, we will be talking about the mental health club here on campus, along with the mental wellness of students here at Valencia with the fabulous Miss Desso. Let's get into the episode. Today, I'll be interviewing Miss Desso, who teaches bio and AP bio here at Valencia. She's also the supervisor of the Bring Change to Mind Club. Hi, Miss Desso. Hi, Mia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. All right, let's get into the episode. First, do you want to tell us a little bit about your background in mental health? Sure. So I first became interested in mental health when I was in high school. Um, I actually went to Valencia High School, so go Vikings. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, and when I was in high school, um, I had a really good friend. She was um, ASB president. She got really good grades. She was on the hip hop team. She was amazing. Um, and her senior year, she started to um, kind of lose interest in some of her hobbies. And um, she started needing more help academically. And so I would tutor her at my house. Um, and her parents were kind of going through a really nasty divorce. Um, so at the time I didn't realize what was happening, but she was, um, slipping into depression and looking back on it, I realized that there were so many points that as her friend, I could have stepped in and made a difference, Mm -hmm. um, and suggested self-help or professional help. Um, but because I was not educated, I wasn't informed. I didn't know what was going on. So fast forward a little bit later into college, she ended up having a lot of issues with courses and with completing assignments. And so I tried to help her through, but always through the lens of I was trying to help a friend, not realizing what was going on. And then when I was in college, I ended up struggling a little bit with anxiety. I tend to have like a perfectionist complex. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes what comes along with that is a little bit more anxiety than the normal person. And so I became super, super focused on my studies, and I didn't understand the importance of social connection. And so I started to lose a lot of my social skills. I was working in a lab doing research into neurobiology, funny funny enough. (laughs) So I was looking at, at brain cells. But while I was in the lab, there wasn't a lot of opportunity for connectedness between people. And so I started to realize that every time I would come home from the lab and actually my, my boyfriend would realize it's like every time you come home from the lab, you're, you're like downtrodden. You don't want to talk. You are completely drained. You have no energy. And then, um, so in one of my classes, one of my undergraduate life science classes, this group came in and they spoke to us at the beginning, kind of like how you'll have like people come in and like give announcements for clubs and stuff. Mm -hmm. So this this group came into my life science class and they were um, for this program called CalTeach, which is a program that's still going on today. And it encourages students who are in higher level sciences at at really good universities. So I, um, I did my undergraduate studies at UCLA in microbiology, immunology, and molecular genetics, which is a wow. mouthful. Um, and so they encourage people who are in those kind of really strong pathways mm-hmm. to continue on into teaching and to take those skills and translate them and to provide for the next generation. And so I had always enjoyed tutoring. I tutored my friend who was, you know, dealing with depression in high school, even though I didn't know it. Um, and so I thought, you know what, they're offering me 500 bucks to take this class. That's going to pay for maybe two textbooks. (laughs) So why not? So I, um, I ended up signing up for the class and going to that class 
And then every time that I would come home from that class, I could not shut up because I was so excited about when the kids got it and like when, you know, like I could see the light in their eyes go off. They're like, oh my gosh, like they understood something about their world that they had never known before. And it was really, really cool. Um, and that's kind of how I transitioned into teaching uh-huh. um, was through that shift in my own mental health and realizing that I needed to pick something that was going to make me healthy um, and not stressed out all the time and anxious. So that's kind of how I got here. And I've been teaching for eight years and I love it. Wow, that sounds like a really interesting story. <laughs> I mean, that's what you want, something that makes you happy, maintaining your own mental wellness. And especially because when you were telling the story about your experiences in college, I feel like a lot of us, even in high school, can relate because we have so much anxiety for putting school in front of our own mental wellness. Right, exactly. And it's, I think that's part of reducing the the stigma surrounding mental illness and mental health in general is that like we all need to realize that every single one of us has mental health just like we have physical health and so when you know if there's something that's wrong with you physically it's a little bit easier to talk about because like maybe you're wearing a cast because you broke your wrist mm-hmm. um whereas when you have something that's going on internally it's a little bit more difficult for us to to realize what's going on and and to know how to help Definitely. So I know you were talking about this a little bit before, but my next question is, what does mental health and wellness mean to you? So for me, I think the first component to mental health and wellness is that we're aware of our mental state. I think that oftentimes we go through the world kind of on autopilot. Like, do you ever have those days where you get home and you're like, I don't even know what I did today? Um, And so when, when we do that, it's really difficult for us to even realize that that there's anything going on. So I think the first really major component to mental health and wellness is is mindfulness, whether that's, you know, just a mindfulness meditation or um, actually paying attention when you eat your food and paying attention to like the smell before you eat your food or um, how it tastes in your mouth or how like the texture or the sound or, you know, thinking about where your food came from, the if you're eating... Cheerios, you know, the the honey and where it came from, that it came from the bees or the oats that were in the field and like all of the people who had to put effort into that product for it to get um, get to you and to have you have that enjoyable experience of eating your Cheerios in the morning. Um, you know, I think that that is really, really important is to be simply aware and mindful in, in your daily life. And I know some people, you know, med- meditation is awesome and they love it. And other people are like, um, no, thank you. And that's totally fine. Um, but I think that there's a lot of things that we can select to be mindful about that we personally enjoy and we can make it our own so that we're not running around on autopilot, but we're actually paying attention to our mental state. And then once you know your mental state and you're aware of it and you kind of understand yourself a little bit better you can start to realize when you're kind of going through the roller coaster of life and when things you know are are going really well in terms of your mental health and when maybe you might need to seek out some help and so I think kind of the second I guess part of mental health to me is that you understand self-care strategies that work for you so like some people want to go on a run when they're having a bad day and like the endorphins after that are amazing and they get the runners high and then, you know, they feel much better after that. And exercise has been shown to significantly improve markers for, for mental wellness. 
But then there's other people who you tell them, oh, we're going to like go for a run and they're going to run the other way because they don't want to go for a run. <laughs> um, so finding things that, that work for you. So I know for me, I really enjoyed just going for walks in nature. Like I find nature really soothing. And so I'll go on a hike. Um, I enjoy yoga. I enjoy reading art. Um, I like to paint. I'm not very good at it, but I still like it. Um, so I think knowing ourselves and knowing when we need to take a moment for self-care is really important. And then um, I think finally knowing that it's okay to seek professional help um, if it's something that you can't deal with on your own or deal with with your, your current support system. Um, and so I think that's kind of what mental health means to me. Yeah, I totally agree with you because I feel like in these recent years, mental health has been stigmatized in a different way where people want to push it away and not accept that it is a problem while going to seek professional help may be the thing that's for that. But like you were saying, I think it's definitely um, depends person to person and it's really about finding what's right for you. Yeah, I would agree with that. So Transitioning a little bit into school and Bring Change to Mind, can you tell us a little bit about the development of the Bring Change to Mind Club? Sure. Um, so Bring Change to Mind is a national organization um, that we are affiliated with. And the goal of Bring Change to Mind is to reduce the stigma surrounding mental health and mental illness. So um, we started the club two years ago um, with a small group of students who um, are from the Medical Sciences Academy on campus, and they had a specific interest in mental and behavioral health. Um, they originally met with um, Mrs. Monty, so shout out to Mrs. Monty, because she's amazing. Um, and they were looking to um, have her as their club advisor, but she had some other plans, and so now she actually is working as a counselor at Saugus High School um, and helping kids that way, um, which mm -hmm. is amazing. So uh, <laughs> once Mrs. Monty was kind of out of um, off of Valencia's campus, they needed another person to, to run the club. And so the students came to me um, and I said, absolutely, I want to be a part of this. And then Brain Change to Mind was born. So what do you think being the supervisor of the club has taught you about yourself and high school students, mental wellness in general? Um, so... I'll start off actually with what I've learned about high school students, and that is that you guys are freaking resilient. And by resilient, I mean that if if something knocks you down, you can get right back up again. So you have a lot of um, capacity for for change within within yourselves, which is really amazing. Um, I also have loved watching the leadership develop. So um, our club president Natalie um, has grown so much as a leader through this club so it's been really amazing to watch her developing that that skill set um through through my leadership and through um the support of all of the other students and um and msa leadership so that's been really fun um in terms of what i have learned um through being the advisor i think that um we as teachers might have a larger impact than we think we do and so um, there's little tiny things that we do every day that make a really big impact on students' lives, um, for better or for worse. And so I think that it makes me a little bit more mindful about the impact that I'm capable of um, in a positive way. So, so what can I do 
to ensure that not only in my classroom, but out on campus um, and within the district that I'm having a positive impact and, and making making everybody's life just a little bit brighter. Yeah, for sure. Because I was going to say, being a teacher, you work with kids every day. And like you were saying, sometimes you don't realize the impact you have on the kids in, in a positive way. So switching gears a little bit, I know that you are big on peer training. What do you think the advantages of this are? And why do you think this is even more beneficial than clinical evaluation? So peer support is, it can be really beneficial when students don't feel comfortable talking to an adult. Um, and all adults have been students at one time. We were, you know, we had, we had to go through what you guys are going through. And I remember when I was a teenager, I would never have wanted to talk to an adult. It would have freaked me out, um, especially about something that's so personal um, as a mental health challenge. And you kind of have this, sometimes this idea of your, your teachers or your counselors or whatever as being separate from you. Um, and not everybody has that perception, but um, depending on your cultural background and kind of where you're coming from, sometimes it may be more acceptable to talk to a student. Sometimes it may be more acceptable to talk to an adult. So I think that peer support has a place um, and training students to help other students um, can benefit in, in situations like the one I described earlier with, with my high school friend, right? Mm -hmm. So I was really close to her. And at, at the time, she didn't quite, she wasn't quite at the place where she needed professional help, but she needed some self-care strategies. She, she needed a little bit more in terms of recognizing that it's okay to not be okay because she was just putting on a facade. She was putting on a fake face and trying to make it through. Um, and, and that must've been really, really difficult. So I think when it comes to peer support, um, we can help students who are in need, who aren't in crisis, because that would require a, definitely a professional, um, but we can have peer supporters who are educated and can start to see some of the signs that something might be going wrong and have some conversations. So provide some information, some resources, some self-help tactics, some um, books that might allow for them to um, look into different methods of self-care. And the hope is that when, when a peer supporter has that information and is educated and knowledgeable about how to approach someone sensitively, then they may not continue to progress in, into a state where they would need professional help. Um, I think that professional help is absolutely necessary and important for, um, for a lot of cases. But the role of peer support would be to assist students who are kind of in um, that very beginning stage where they might just need a little bit more support so that it doesn't start to, to move into something where they would need a little bit more professional help. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Like what we were saying before, how um, some people just, they don't really want to admit they need to talk to someone. So having someone on their level that can help them and maybe give them some advice would be even more beneficial for those three people who wouldn't want to talk to an adult or aren't at the point where they need to. Can I add on to that? Oh, yes, please do. No, it's okay. So um, I, I teach a class called Mental Health First Aid, um, and I was going to get to this later, but I'll, I'll throw it in now. Um, in, in Mental Health First Aid, we actually 
try to stay away from giving advice um, because let's say that you are, I don't know, deciding what color dress to wear to prom. And I'm like, the blue one, yeah, you should wear the blue one. Mm -hmm. And then you go to prom wearing the blue one and then like somebody else is wearing the exact same dress and it's a disaster and oh no. Well, now there could be a breach of trust between us because I told you you should wear the blue one. Mm -hmm. So when we we talk to someone about mental health, we want to give information rather than advice and it's a really weird difference like so advice would be like me giving you a recommendation for action to take Mm -hmm. whereas information would be like here here are different like ways that people have solved these problems here's some resources that you could look at but I'm not going to tell you which one that you should pick I'm not going to say yeah pick the blue dress I'm going to say, well, here, here, let's look at this catalog. Here's a whole bunch of other dresses, you know, which one, which one are you feeling like? And then that way, when you're, when you don't give advice, you don't set up a potential breach of trust. I totally didn't know that. So that's okay. For, that's okay. <laughs> thank you for informing me on I, that. Because, <laughs> but now that you say that, I totally agree with that because there's a difference between, well, like you're saying, giving someone advice and I feel like letting them make the decisions for themselves is definitely a, a better option than there's a little bit more ownership yeah. over it that way. Yeah. And it lets the person make their own decision and not feel like they're being influenced by others. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's, there's like, obviously one particular situation where, like, you wouldn't allow them to make their own choice, mm-hmm. right? Where, you know, someone, um, one of the first steps in mental health first aid is that you always assess for risk of suicide or harm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could be harm to self or others. And so if you assess, you do an assessment on them. So, and by assessment, that just means talking to them, asking them a few questions. And if you do that assessment and you realize like, okay, this is a situation where we definitely need additional help, then you seek additional help immediately, right? Mm -hmm. So I just want to make that 100 million percent clear that if you think that someone might be at risk, you immediately seek out professional help. Oh, yeah. That's something that you can't let them make their own decision about. Right. That's the one thing. Yeah. And you can always tell them um, a line that you can use is, I'd rather that you be mad at me than gone. Right? So if, yeah, if they you, confide um, something in you and, you're, and they're like, but don't tell anyone, well, I care about you and I would rather that you, I, I continue to have you and that you're mad at me. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let somebody else know about this so that you can get some help. Yeah, for sure. So how do you think being educated in mental health, like what we were talking about before, benefits the students based on what you've seen? So I think it benefits students in a few different ways. First of all, um, it reduces the stigma. And that's like the whole point of the Bring Change to Mind Club is to reduce the stigma. And by stigma, what we mean is um, kind of negative ideas surrounding something. So if you broke your leg, there's not a negative stigma about wearing a cast. Everyone knows you wear a cast because otherwise your leg's going to be jacked up when it heals, right? So so there's no stigma around that. Um, whereas with mental health, um, there's kind of some negative connotations. So you might hear like, oh, that person's schizo or that person's crazy or that person's bipolar or, you know, so sometimes people will start to use diagnoses as, as slurs or as names to call someone or just kind of it, it gets into our common vernacular and and when it does it it can distance people who either have a mental illness or know someone with a mental illness so imagine that you and I are having a conversation 
and you have a cousin who's who has is living with bipolar disorder um and we always say a person first language right so someone living with something mm-hmm. so not a bipolar person but a person who is living with bipolar disorder mm-hmm. um just to be clear but and then I all of a sudden say, oh, my gosh, the weather is so bipolar today. Like, what is going on? It was raining earlier, and now it's 100 degrees out. Like, what's happening? Mm-hmm. What that can do is it can create distance between you and I. Because now you think that I think that bipolar is, is a really bad thing because of the way that I've used that term in my, our common language. And so you might start to not tell me things that are happening in your life or in your, your cousin's life that you might need to be addressed um, because of that stigma. And so one of the, the things that education allows us to do is it allows us to pull all of these things out of the dark because, because oftentimes we just kind of push them aside into a dark closet and try mm-hmm. not to think about them. It lets us pull them out into the light so that we can say, look, this is what bipolar disorder is. This is why we don't use it in sentences like that. Are we cool? Okay, we're cool. And then we can move on. And um, it's very empowering when you understand what's going on because if you if you don't understand, it's scary, right? Um, so if you if you don't understand what someone who's schizophrenic, what that looks like, um, or what some of the the signs and symptoms are, um, then it it's different. And different might mean bad to you at, at some point. So what we're trying to do um, in terms of education is let everyone kind of have the same groundwork so that we understand when someone has a broken leg, they need a cast, right? When someone is feeling depressed, they need therapy, right? And so we just need to all have a common understanding of what that means so that there's not that negative stigma and so that when we have conversations with people, we're not creating social distance and we feel open and able to talk honestly with each other. And luckily, I think it has been getting better in recent years, but I know there is definitely still stigma and I think no one's perfect, but definitely like what you're saying, um, just small things like saying something's bipolar or I'm so depressed that this happened or um, I have OCD and I like to do certain things. And I think it all kind of adds up to, it doesn't seem like you're stigmatizing a certain group, but to certain people, it can be hurtful. And that's definitely what we're trying to get away from here. Yeah. So. And I know when I was in high school, then, and like, I, I am guilty of this because I, I wasn't educated. Um, when I was in high school, it was, that's so retarded. Like I would say that all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All the time and like it wasn't until I got into like college that people and and the only reason I stopped saying it was because someone pointed out how like terrible that was for me how like not compassionate yeah. I was at the time and and once they pointed it out to me I was like oh my gosh I can't believe I've been saying that like because the words didn't mean anything to me but they mean something to somebody else and so one of the things that we do with brain change to mind and with mental health education is that we we let people know that it's okay to tell someone that what they're saying is not okay. So like if we were in a conversation and I'll, I'll give you actually an example from when I did my mental health first aid training. So I went down to San Diego, it was a five day training. So I was going to be with this group of other people for five days. Mm-hmm. And it was 
psychiatrists and psychologists. And um, I think there were only two teachers out of like this group of like 30 or 40 people. And so I was kind of intimidated and I wanted to make a good impression. And so we all went out to dinner after the first day of training. And when I sat next to one of the trainers um, and so he was, he was a police officer um, and he does these trainings for, um, for the police departments all over the country so that they can understand how to, um, how to handle people who are dealing with mental health issues. And we were talking and I mentioned um, that something was crazy. It's like, oh my gosh, did you see that? football play. That was so crazy. And he goes, stop. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I do? He goes, what did you say? I'm like, I said, that's so crazy. And he's like, what did you mean by that? And I was like, well, it was like, it was really cool. And he's like, okay, why don't you use that word instead? Because crazy might come off a little bit harsh to some people. And I was like, Oh my gosh, what? I'm like, I'm at this training. I'm trying to like prevent stigma and I just did it myself because it's, that was part of my vernacular and I'll still catch myself saying it. And then I'll be like, no, that was really neat. Or that (laughs) one, you know, and just kind of trying to choose different language and the way, but the way that he said it, he wasn't trying to like fight me. Mm -hmm. You know, he wasn't trying to be aggressive. He asked me what what was my meaning and he asked me to choose a different word and that was really powerful that was really interesting that example that you gave because I feel like a lot of people use words like retarded or even crazy which people wouldn't even think has a negative connotation but it's just something small like if someone tells you that might be hurtful to someone or that might not be the best word to describe the situation most people are going to be grateful that someone told them that so that they can change and it's kind of like the small thing is what leads to bigger change and when you think about what's the actual meaning like why did you choose to say that word it kind of makes you more mindful of I don't know I kind of just use that one a lot or it could be like a fallback word yeah okay, so switching gears a little bit I know this year you, we opened the wellness room here at Valencia so do you want to just talk a little bit about that sure so um, we opened the wellness room as a space where students could feel safe and at peace on campus when they're kind of going through their hectic days so um, we when we created this space it was all kind of student designed so our brain change to mind club came together and we looked at what would we want the space to look like? What would we want it to feel like? What would we want people doing in there? Um, And then we created the space based on student insight. Um, And so when students use the room, usually it's for um, self-care. So they can color. Um, We have some of those like really pretty mandala coloring books. Um, They can read some of our self-help books, either for themselves or for a friend. Um, They can talk to our social workers. We have two really nice, sweet social workers. um, And both ladies are really, really kind and easy to talk to. So if a student has a question or, you know, needs a little bit of it, um, of help, then you, you know, they can go in and talk to our social workers. Um, and I think that one of the main things the wellness room does is it shows students that the adults on campus care about them because we've dedicated an entire classroom to making sure that they're taking care of their own mental health. And I think that that can be really powerful to students to know that there's there's a space on campus where they can go where someone will care for them. 
I think that's really important and very lucky that here at Valencia we have a wellness room because it's a very safe space for students and not every school has that space, especially on school, which is usually like a hectic place and it's kind of where people are most stressed about. But while you're in this environment, you have a safe space that you can go to. And I think that's really special for us. Yeah. And it's it's nice, too, because we do offer meditations on Wednesday mornings. Um, so we do 10-minute meditations in the morning. And then we have after-school yoga as well for students and staff. So, And we've been getting a good turnout. So. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to wrap things up. My last question is, what are three takeaways you want someone listening to this to know about mental health in general? Okay, so um, my first takeaway would be that um, one in five people will have a mental health challenge in their lifetime. And and that statistic should make you do a double take because that means that for every five people that you see, one of them has or will or maybe is um, going through some sort of mental health challenge. Um, So 20% of the population. And the reason why that's one of my main takeaways is because that should start to reduce the stigma surrounding mental health if you realize how how normal it is, how common it is for um, for people to to deal with these challenges. It's just that they're invisible challenges. So when we say one in five, it makes it a little bit more visible. Um, my number two takeaway is that healing is possible. So if you're someone who's out there who is suffering in silence, who's dealing with something that you haven't told anyone about, um, I would just encourage you to get help, whether that's telling a friend or a family member or doing a little bit of research in your own wellness library. um, I I would highly encourage you to do that. Um, Sometimes people will wait seven or eight years before they get help. And that's seven or eight years of your life that you could have been healing. And so um, just know that help is out there and that healing is possible. And this isn't something that you have to deal with on your own. The final takeaway um, would be that if you know someone who's struggling, um, remember, (laughs) this is going to sound funny, algae, um, not like pond scum, but A-L-G-E-E. So the A stands for assess for risk of suicide or harm. L stands for listen non-judgmentally. G, give reassurance or information. E is encourage self-help. And then the last E is encourage professional help. And that could be a counselor or a crisis support line. Um, And then I'm just going to ask that if you are listening and you don't have the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline in your phone right now, I'm going to ask you to pull your cell phone out of your pocket or wherever it happens to be and put in this number. So this is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. It's 1-800-273-8255. Just so that you have it in case you ever have to use it. That's it. Thank you so much, Ms. So I feel like these small tips can be something that can make the big difference in people's lives. I hope so. So it was really nice having you today. Thank you so much. We had a (laughs) long, fun conversation. Yeah, it was cool. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Mind Matters with Mia. I'll be back for another episode. Thank you.